Is there crack in this coffee? Mm. Look, the first Martian university just opened. And we need to get those kids addicted to our caffeine. Capiche? Elon Musk has promised that we'll have pizza joints on Mars, and I suppose that means we'll have coffee shops as well, hopefully serving espresso that doesn't contain crack. But is there any guarantee that Martian society will be free of racism, sexism, greed, corruption, and all the other failings that flesh is heir to? Who will make the coffee, deliver the pizzas, and take out the garbage on Mars? In a new web cartoon series called Maurice on Mars, black comedy writer Tim Barnes stars as an artist and barista whose sci-fi life on Mars serves as a darkly comic commentary on present-day life on Earth. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, one of your hosts for the Fiction Science Podcast. Join me and my co-host, science fiction author Dominica Fetaplace, as we talk with Tim Barnes about Maurice on Mars and the controversies that surround race and science fiction. Tim Barnes has already built up quite a resume as a comedian and a comedy writer. He's written for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Nickelodeon's reboot of the All That TV series, and the NPR quiz show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, among other shows. But lately, Tim has been indulging his science fiction side. He's the co-host of a podcast about Star Wars called Yub Nub, and he's just created a web series for Comedy Central that satirizes modern society in a Martian setting, complete with a giant domed settlement and a billionaire who's in charge. As a black comedy writer, Tim is the perfect person to write a black comedy like Maurice on Mars. But the web series, which has a chance of becoming a TV show, isn't just about being on Mars or being black on Mars. Like earlier satirical works going back to Gulliver's Travels, Maurice on Mars points out our earthly foibles in a fictional setting that makes it safe to laugh. When Dominica Fetaplace and I chatted with Tim Barnes over Zoom, we started out the discussion by asking him what inspired the creation of Maurice on Mars. Uh, Maurice on Mars is something that I oddly have been thinking about for a long time, not in the exact formation that it exists now, but I had been thinking about Mars itself for so long, uh, probably, you know, starting from Marvin the Martian, but more specifically, reading Ray Bradbury, who is one of my favorite writers. And there's a story he wrote in the Martian Chronicles called Way in the Middle of the Air that I remember reading in middle school that uh, really caught my, my attention because it was about Black people in the South who decided to uh, to leave Earth and move to Mars because they were so, uh, you know, tired of all of the ridiculous circumstances for them in America. And that really stuck out to me. And actually, oddly, I tried to download that book on my iPad. And the, that short story I just mentioned isn't on there, which feels like a very Fahrenheit 451 situation. <laughs> <laughs> and he also wrote a, a story in uh, another collection of short stories called The Illustrated Man that's called The Other Foot which is about, I don't think these stories are connected, but it's about the situation where a bunch of uh, black people from Earth uh, left, left it to Mars and they've been settled there for about 20 years. World War III happens on Earth and then a rocket, a lone rocket comes from Earth to Mars 
uh, where a white man is saying, please, please let us, we destroyed earth. Please let us uh, live among you. We'll do anything. We'll, you know, we'll be your, your servants if we have to, that kind of thing, which I thought, wow, is, is Ray Bradbury the, the blackest white uh, sci-fi writer? Cause he's, he's always, he's, he's always uh, seems to be writing these little things that, that uh, I don't know, just like blew my mind, even reading them years later. And so fast forward to the last uh, five years or so as uh, this sort of normalized uh, conversation about these billionaires who want to, you know, move to Mars and that kind of thing. I was always uh, hypothesizing uh, amongst my friends whenever we go, you know, go out for drinks or anything. Okay. Sort of this idea of Mars becoming a fact in my head. One day we are clearly going to be on Mars because just look at what's happening on earth. Okay. What happens to religion when we're on Mars? What happens to race when we're on Mars? Just on a very practical level, imagining, okay, you know, me and my, my family and my friends are going to go to Mars. How does culture change? Uh, and then in the summer of 2020, I found myself in the most science fiction scenario imaginable. I'm writing for late night television, but I don't have to set foot on a late night show. I'm, I was writing for the tonight show starring Jimmy Fallon from my apartment <laughs> because there was a global pandemic. And, uh, and then uh, after the murder of George Floyd, a huge social uprising happening here in America that spread throughout the globe. And within that time period, I think, right, like the day after President Donald Trump had, uh, you know, publicly stated that he's going to send the National Guard for the uh, for these protesters, the first private space launch from SpaceX. And I can it was the most clear that I could see the entire situation. You know, the world has has gone to crap and the billionaires are trying to leave it. It, it was just so clear. And so in that same time period, uh, Comedy Central had reached out. I, I got some word that they were looking for for black writers in particular to create something in the animated space. And I just kind of combined all this stuff that I've been thinking about for years into this one story called Maurice on Mars about uh, a young black struggling artist who hops onto a, a shuttle to Mars and uh, can only get a job at, a, at another coffee shop and realizes that this utopic society is actually just putting a new face on the same old earth problems. And that's, that's the basis of it. Sorry, I feel like I took over the podcast there. Oh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> we love it when people take over the podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so yeah, your main character, Maurice, is a frustrated artist and also a barista who has escaped earth. I'm wondering how autobiographical this character is. And if you could maybe tell us about some of the other characters on the show. You know, I didn't realize how autobiographical it was until I saw the first episode fully animated. And I started thinking about uh, parts of my life. Well, actually scratch that. I didn't realize until I had to, until it got greenlit and I started trying to explain this concept to the writers. And we were, we were trying to figure out what the characters were going to look like. And I realized, oh yeah, I was a struggling artist who had moved to LA to Chicago for a specific pursuit of comedy. And one of the first jobs I got there was a very miserable one where I was working at a Dunkin' Donuts and I always got the night shift, which didn't allow me to pursue my actual goals of going out to open mics every night because I was too busy selling donuts on the closing shift at, a, uh, <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts. 
And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is a lot of what uh, I did not realize I put into this character and into this situation. So we've got Maurice in that situation. We also have Beta, his robot boss, who doesn't believe that they're a robot, who's voiced by Lori Beth Dinberg of all that fame. If you remember uh, sketches like Vital Information for Your Everyday Life. There's also Joe, who's a, a regular at the coffee shop. He's always reading a weird book. And he's voiced by Dwayne Kennedy, one of my favorite comedians ever, and just a, an amazing voice. There's also Alistar, who is a, a hipster. He's like my go-to concept of, of what how culture changes once we're on Mars, who's vo voiced by Ashok Kondabolu, who's the, the brother of a great comedian named Hari Kondabolu. And Ashok is... Uh, he has a, a show on HBO Max right now called Chillin' Island that's very funny and, and surreal. Uh, the, the, there's Janice, his, uh, his co-worker, who may or may not be an alien. Uh, and she's voiced by an SNL writer and great comedian named Claire O'Kane. And there is this ominous figure throughout these uh, three episodes of Maurice on Mars named Braxton Tusk, who is a combination of Elon Musk, of Richard Branson, and Jeff Bezos, who is a billionaire who basically runs this whole utopic, quote unquote, operation on Mars. And that's, yeah, that's the, the full cast of characters. Yeah, you've been involved in a lot of comedy writing projects, ranging from The Tonight Show to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on public radio, a, a couple of sitcoms on Nickelodeon, Warped and all that. And as you've mentioned, you've been able to recruit some pretty high-powered voice talent and writing firepower. Tell me how hard it was or how easy it was to recruit people to do the voices and to do the animation for this project. It wasn't uh, that difficult at all because we were in this this uh, living at home uh, situation due to the pandemic. So I think a lot of people were excited to hop on board and we uh, shipped these nice microphones to everybody and put them in these odd situations of trying to make sure that the audio was as crisp as possible where they might have to put their their blankets over themselves and their microphone and, and that kind of thing. So it was a very odd uh uh, visual experience on these uh, Google chats and going through these lines and these these recordings with everyone. And I'm very happy with the the group that we amassed. I mean, there were some people who who I had reached out to initially, and they were, uh, you know, they weren't available because they were, you know, out on different projects and that kind of thing. But as it as a whole, um, this is the the perfect cast. I, I feel I think it just worked out so well and I'm so pleased with everything. And is the animation something that you had to handle or is that something that's done for you by Comedy Central, for example? We worked with this animation studio called Cartoona. So it's a combination of cartoons and tuna <laughs> spelled C-A-R-T-U-N-A. -A. Um, and James Belfer and his team there did a, a wonderful job and um, I was very excited to bring a specific artist on board to design the characters. His name is Uche, and he has this wonderful webcomic called Vibe Check. And he has this, just this amazing art style that I think translates into Maurice on Mars, where it's a, a combination of classic, almost like a Looney Tunes look, a slight anime influence. This is just me talking about Uche's work himself, but also um, a little bit of this, this '90s cartoon uh, vibe that I uh, that I grew up loving, and I was just kind of became obsessed with his work. And so when I was like, "Can we get this guy to be involved in this project somehow?" I was very pleased that he was able to to come on board. 
and um, design the characters. What kind of research went into crafting this show? Uh, I, I can't say I put in, you know, a specific amount of scientific research. I'm actually curious w- w- with your scientific minds, if you, <laughs> if anything seems off or too impossible, did anything strike you as like, whoa? Well, it, it's easy you know. when you put a dome over everything. that that takes care of a lot of the issues as long as you don't have to go outside that dome (laughs) it it wasn't i think uh whatever research went into it was definitely uh through an you know a process of osmosis because i do always love reading uh scientific articles about specific things whenever they come up i love philosophy i was that kid in high school who would who was casually reading a, a book by Nietzsche in a, you know, in PE class somehow, you know what I mean? But I, I never had to write a, you know, a thesis about any of this stuff. So it's all in my head as a, as a big, big mush that comes out in my work, I think. Uh, so well, in the pilot, there's someone who's very casually reading bell hooks in the cafe. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many influences that, it's only through more interviews like this that I'll, I'll probably whittle it down and be able to say it uh, in the perfect way. Were there some things that you had to really think about in terms of uh, if I'm putting the story on Mars, how am I going to show this? I mean, it's clear in the series that you are really bringing Earth society to Mars. And so that, that, as you say, that's part of the point is that the problems that you have on Earth, you're going to have on Mars, too. Yeah, it um the the big issue was sort of how do you make it feel futuristic in the right way but also normal in the right way and that was a a fine balance that uh it took a bit of back and forth with myself and the creative team at Comedy Central and the artists at Cartoona and I think we landed on something good. I went in knowing a lot of what I didn't want it to be and that helped me figure out what I wanted it to be. I didn't want it to be something that people look at and say, oh, it's just doing Futurama or, oh, he works in a coffee shop and he's wearing an apron. It's just doing Bob's Burgers on Mars. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that helped me, you know, try and find a, a very specific look and um, style. I think we landed on, on something pretty special. I guess the follow-up question is about how you balance it as being a show about the Black experience versus being your garden variety sci-fi show. Uh, How important was it for you to integrate that Black experience? Uh, You can't tell from this podcast, or maybe you can, but you're Black and we're not. So, uh, you know. I think you even having to say that defines everything that I try to do and everything that I create and and the work that I make. Um, I, I, I do believe that, you know, what I do comedically on stage and everything that I write is um, taking a sort of absurdist lens to talk about actual societal issues in a way that doesn't feel over your head and doesn't feel um, preachy. So it is a it is a struggle for me when I write anything to figure out who am I writing this for? You know, there's this concept of a general audience that is very easy to write for, but it's often difficult for me to to write my own authentic experience. And I think that does come from not seeing an element of, of who I am depicted often. I think we all have a, a very 
we've all grown up with a sort of limited depiction of black characters and that affects white people just as much as it affects black people. Uh, so my goal was really to, <laughs> to make Maurice a pretty palatable black man, someone like myself, who I consider to be a pretty palatable black man, someone you can, you can perhaps see voting for president, inviting into your home, uh, all of the above. And I think that characters like this are a great way, entryway to, to more nuanced conversations. And so, um, I think that uh, Maurice can hopefully be a character that people don't just think of as, oh, the, the character who's who's black on Mars. <laughs> I think it's about <laughs> more than that. But it is also about being black on Mars. And so um, I, I really want this to be something that's in that sort of nebulous space that allows us to, to talk about a, a whole swath of issues. And if this ever were to become a show or something like that, I think that we can find interesting paths to talking about things that it, it can be quite difficult to talk about on, on other shows. And the cool thing about science fiction, I think, is that when you talk about uh, race in uh, entertainment and TV and movies, I think science fiction has really been a trailblazer. You can talk about Uhura and Jordy on Star Trek or Finn in Star Wars or Naomi in The Expanse. Uh, so I think there's a great heritage there where, you know, you can sketch out a vision of of a world where you have that diversity and harmony. Uh, but there are always controversies that come up. And, and I wanted to ask you about the controversy over Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, yeah. a black actress, Moses Ingram, who has gotten some hate mail over her, her role in that. And, and, uh, and Ewan McGregor and, and Star Wars have come to her defense. And, and uh, it's been an interesting issue. You've been watching that. I'd love to hear your take on on the controversy. Yes, yes. And I know that you are a, a big Star Wars fan. I was listening to an episode where you were referencing a moment from Revenge of the Sith, where this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. I forget the exact quote. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but actually, I'm more of a Star Trek guy. So oh, okay, if it's okay. Star Trek versus yeah. Star Wars, I'm on the Star Trek side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have become quite the Trekkie in the last few years as well. But I, 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 I fear that I'm, as a Star Wars fan, who's someone who grew up as a Star Wars fan, I feel like I, I kind of went away from it for a few years. And when I came back, there were all these people who are super into the animated series and stuff. And there's a whole depth of lore that I, I am not uh, super familiar with. And it's just uh, amazing how, how deep uh, the, some fandom goes. But yeah, we were talking about this issue with uh, Moses Ingram and the, the racist comments that she's been getting from, from Star Wars fans on a, a podcast that I co-host with these other comedians, Greg Iwinski and Jim Fagan. And it does hit close to home. And this feels like uh, a big turning point for Star Wars itself, because Star Wars as a brand took a took time to to make a public comment on this, stating that they stand with her and that, you know, there is no place in the Star Wars community for comments like this. And Owen McGregor himself took took time to to make a post and comment on it, both as someone who's playing a legacy character and someone who is an executive producer of, of this show. It is so odd to me, and it, it says a lot that you can feel like someone does not belong 
in a science fiction <laughs> franchise. Yeah, yeah. Because of the way they talk, the way they look, uh, who they are as a human being. It is so uh, strange. And I think that Star Wars has this interesting history of when it first came out in 1977, really having so many white characters uh, amongst a sea of alien creatures uh, that you got this feeling that that white people were the default. <laughs> right. And you rare, very rarely saw any other type of person. I love trying to get into the mind of George Lucas. <laughs> he is a very complex uh, uh, human being. I, I know that, you know, for instance, that he uh, did not only have white people audition for characters in Star Wars. Um, so it is perhaps a possibility that it was just a confluence of events that made it uh, only white characters in that first film. But um, it did have an effect. And it's even something that Carl Sagan referenced in uh, an interview he did with Johnny Carson on this night show in 1978, uh, commenting on the, the oddity of that. And even at the time, there were, there were you know, critics, uh, black critics talking about uh, what does it mean that th this is a, a film with a, a blonde white protagonist and the villain is a person dressed in black voiced by <laughs> the, you know, the most intimidating black voice imaginable? Um, I think that what science fiction and speculative fiction and fantasy, uh, what makes it so great is that everyone watches it through a different lens and everyone has a different take. And um, when people of color, when black people watch these films, there is a take that I think a lot of white people don't expect. And Richard Pryor, I forget what special this is in. He has this great uh, anecdote where he talks about seeing Logan's run and realizing this is a movie that takes place in the future. All white people, uh, to yeah. paraphrase, just says, I guess they don't expect us to make it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, science fiction, like every other part of society, has evolved over the past couple of decades. Uh, you know, you look at some of these old movies for whatever reason. And whether it's uh, race or treatment of women or or how society is structured, there there are some scenes you look at and and you just have to say to yourself that's that would never fly today. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, yeah I, and it happens I think, in Star Trek and it happens in Star yeah. Wars. And mm -hmm. I think we had such a you know there were um, black characters in the prequels and there was a little bit of time that went by. And then when Disney came out with the the first with the Force Awakens. The great shock over the reveal of someone lifting a stormtrooper helmet and it being a black character, and the very thought of that black character being a you know a prominent figure in this series really, I don't I don't know what it was, but it it made people freak <laughs> out. Ember at the time, you know, and it, it does connect into our politics today because I remember at the time. Uh, a phrase that I kept seeing was like, you know, white genocide and that kind of thing. And now we're in an era, era where, you know, there's this um, this concept of replacement theory. Oh, and yeah. I think that these fears are all playing out in our in the pop culture science fiction realm uh, for some reason. And um, it's something that people really need to, to take a look in the mirror about. Star Wars is a franchise that allows you to essentially dress up like a fascist at 
a festival. You know what I mean? You can dress up as a character that's called a stormtrooper. And the very idea that people want to watch these movies and not think about the real world, that is the true frightening thing. Because you, if you're dressing up... <laughs> Like, like some of these, you know, a a member of the first order or something, you might want to think a little harder about some of the the nuances of these stories being told. Yeah. And I think uh, the reason why people potentially freak out about this is because science fiction is almost by definition about the future. It may be a near term future or it may be a long term future. But if you see a long term future that does not reflect your view or your aspiration for what that future is, it can get under your skin, I suppose, for good or for ill. If it's a future where everybody is getting along and, and, uh, and you know, the kind of future that, that, uh, that was defined by Star Trek when it came to race relations, and, and I think is being reflected by more and more science fiction nowadays. If you don't hold to that view, it kind of bugs you because you see this this future that goes in a different direction, which might be a crazy yeah. direction, but still it's a direction. <laughs> yeah, I think Star Trek is aspirational. Star Wars is a little um, divergent. It's, it's an escape uh, from all reality. And hopefully with Maurice and Mars, it's a combination. It's somewhere in between where it's talking about our reality perhaps as aspirational, perhaps as a distraction, but really that middle piece of, of what science fiction to do is what excites me the most of like directly commenting on issues today uh, in a way that is good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. That, no, that's the best science fiction where it actually yeah. reflects on the present as, as much as it does on the future. You mentioned Elon Musk and the billionaires, and uh, Elon Musk has been talking about building a city on Mars for a long time and sending millions of settlers to live there, including baristas and uh, pizza (laughs) parlor operators. Uh, What would it take to get you to live on a city on Mars? I don't think it would take much. and There's something about it that that is exciting. I would definitely be fearful, but... I truly think that people often jump to that aspirational part of, uh, of living on Mars. But the practical thing is that uh, you're going to need people to build stuff once you get there. So the working class, the underclass, I believe, <laughs> will be the first people <laughs> on Mars to actually, you know, build the White House there. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. I... I definitely want to visit. I'll say that. I, I would be. Uh, I would wait five years to see how many accidents happen on the way there to make sure that you know the shuttles are safe and all that. Probably visit, do a couple open mics, do a couple shows, come back, tell my friends, and let's see how re- you know what the what what's the real state like on Mars. Uh, is redlining an issue there? You know. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I have to get back to you on that. I I do truly believe in the next 20 years that it'll be pretty normal for you to, you know, go hang out with a friend and say, and they'll, and they'll say, oh yeah, my, uh, my nephew, my, my son, he, he's, uh, he's working, working over on Mars, uh, at the, the Nestle factory. Yeah. Good job. (laughs) Good job. Good. Uh, well, I, I love the social commentary aspect of the show, and I'm excited to see uh, more episodes 
I was wondering if you had any recommendations for our listeners, anything good that you've read or watched or listened to. Uh I have really been enjoying Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It is so fun to watch. And I love that it's episodic. Uh, there's a new adventure every every week. Yet there is still this Twilight Zone element with Captain Pike where he knows that he's going to die in 10 years. And that is so uh, wonderful to me. Uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth, the TV, TV series on, on Showtime is so good. I look forward to it every week and I, I love what it's doing. And I think, you know, its ability to, to comment on social issues and race is wonderful. Really, really enjoying the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney plus it is uh, it's doing this great balancing act of, of fitting well in between the, the world that George Lucas created in the original, original trilogy and the world that he created in the prequels, which when you watch the two, they don't mesh very well. And this show is uh, really pulling off this balancing act uh, more, more than it isn't. And I think it's not getting enough credit <laughs> for that. Um, I'm really looking forward to, I haven't read this yet, but there's this book called the Invisible Things by this writer named Matt Johnson, who I love. He made this uh, graphic novel series called Incognigro about. Oh, a, I love uh, that one. Yes. It's so yes. tense. Yeah, really good. Yeah, it's so good. And I just saw he posted this trailer for his new book called The Invisible Things. And it's about a city in a dome on uh, the planet Europa, I think, or something like that. And I we follow each other on Twitter. So I, I was like, oh my goodness, I like we both have we have this thing about cities and domes and i hope that our you know two domed cities can coexist and he was so gracious and um he's excited about maurice on mars as well i'm excited about his book i think he's one of the greatest writers you should have him on your show and the last thing is not even science fiction related but this uh show called andy barker pi starring andy richter that came out in uh i think the late 90s early 2000s i've been re-watching that didn't last long but it's so funny and i think it's uh it 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 has this uh, this magic of a specific tone of comedy that is just like in the in the key of of Conan O'Brien and it's uh, <laughs> and it just really makes me laugh. So uh, I hope people are enjoying these recommendations. Uh... <laughs> yeah, very much. Well, you've been a comedy writer for you know that that's your career basically but uh now you've got the star wars podcast and you've got this science fiction uh web series are you actually turning into a science fiction writer uh i feel like i am and this is it's so weird because i when i catch up with friends who do comedy and stuff i kind of say in hushed tones like i really want to be writing science fiction short stories and things like that. And I, I don't really know how to, how to enter that world, but I am always thinking about science fiction plots or things that are, are vaguely in that direction. And I think a lot of that comes from my love of what Jordan Peele has done with his career, uh, with uh, brilliantly pivoting from, from comedy to filmmaking and the horror genre although it looks like his new film, Nope, might be, might be science fiction. I'd just love to, to dive further into that because before I started doing comedy, uh, my goal was to be a filmmaker. And the reason I realized this goal was because my childhood aspiration was to be a mad scientist. And 
I loved just science and science movies. And I read the novelization of the Robin Williams version of Flubber before the movie came out. And I loved that. But then I realized as I took more and more math classes that I'm horrible at it. And so I can never be a mad scientist and that filmmaking and the things that I'm doing now are probably the, the better path for me to, to deal with, with uh, scientific concepts. So um, yeah, the long winded way to answer that question is yes. <laughs> well, you may not be a mad scientist, but I, I believe you have great potential as a mad science fiction writer. So I'm wishing you all the best. And, and Maurice on Mars is a wonderful web series. I'm hoping that everybody gets a chance to watch it and, and that Comedy Central turns it into a real live show, just like Pinocchio is a real live boy. Uh, Maurice on Mars will be a real live show. So that's my wish for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is so much Thank fun. You. Yeah. Check out my blog item on cosmiclog.com for more about Tim Barnes and Maurice on Mars. You'll also find links to the books and the streaming shows that Tim talked about, as well as links to more information about the real world debate over setting up pizza joints and new political systems on Martian soil. While you're online, check out dominicafetaplace.com. Don't worry about the spelling. Just follow the link from the Cosmic Log item. Thanks to Tim Barnes for the interview, and thanks to James Emley for his rendition of the fiction science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science Podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.